Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. So today I'm going to talk about your children's mental health during the pandemic, during this time of quarantine, during remote learning for many of us, and how that, how all of this that we're dealing with right now is affecting our children's emotional well-being. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to attend a webinar put on by the um, Newfield Institute on the subject of mental health and home learning, and it was really helpful, and in many ways, it was really reassuring. So I'll give you some of the highlights. First, Dr. Newfield himself reminded the listeners that big displays of a range of emotion is actually a good sign. It means that there are actually feelings happening. That was great for me to hear because there's been a lot of displays of a wide range of emotions happening in my household. And it was great to be reminded that that is a good sign. Many of us forget as parents that these big swings of emotion are actually not a bad thing. It's the absence of feelings. When feelings go missing, that's what's troubling. So we need to, as parents, stop associating emotional health with happiness. Emotional health is actually the ability to feel all emotions. So it's a good sign when our kids are feeling nervous or embarrassed about getting on a Zoom call, when we see them mad and frustrated, enraged even. There's a lot to be enraged about right now. That's a good thing when we're seeing that when we're sealing those feelings in our children. So again, what you want to look for is an actual lack of feelings. When your kids lose their feelings, one thing you'll notice is that they're not talking about them. They're not saying, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm mad. They're not talking about their feelings. They're not aware of them. They're lacking them. You're going to get a lot of whatevers and I don't cares. You might see glassy eyed, empty stares from your kids, complaints of being bored, and kind of like no inspiration to want to do anything about it. You might also see your children just numbing themselves out with video games, computer games, staring at social media. All of that is what is concerning. That lack of feelings, the lack of ability to feel emotions, that's what you should be concerned about, not big swings of emotion, roller coasters. Newfeld reminded the listeners at the webinar that 
emotional health is noisy. It is messy. So a child's ability to feel is one of the biggest indicators of emotional health and well-being. Quiet, disengaged kids who have lost their feelings, those are the ones that you need to be really concerned about. There was other surprising good news, um, which honestly was not completely surprising to me personally based on what I've observed from my teenagers, my adolescents, my two teen kids. And that is that they reported at this webinar that the incidence and diagnosis of adolescent and teen anxiety has actually gone down from the time before the pandemic and quarantine and remote learning. So this tells us a lot about the source of anxiety in teenagers and adolescents, how a lot of it is likely fed by peer interactions and social pressures in school environments. Teens coming home and spending more time with their families is actually giving young adults an opportunity to come down off of this kind of anxiety alarmed place they've been in and to focus more on themselves and self-discovery and their emerging interests and making sense of who they are versus trying to fit in or conform to an accepted norm like might be the case when they're in school together in middle schools and high schools. Many teens just might emerge from this period of remote learning and home quarantine with more confidence in themselves and higher self-esteem and with more outlets that they have kind of cultivated through this that are creative outlets. I know this has very much been the case with my oldest child who has always run anxious, who actually has an official diagnosis of anxiety. She has reported and she's experienced and I've observed a huge decrease in her anxiety since she has been home doing remote learning. And that has been really a great thing to see her. She's kind of coming out of her shell again. She seems happier and less running on alarm in fight or flight or freeze mode all of the time and less of a pull to want to kind of numb out those feelings so much. A lot of parents are really concerned right now about the negative impact of their children not being in school with the peers and that socialization with peers at school is the breeding ground for a lot of emotional upheaval and mental health problems. And it was really reassuring to hear that that's not the case. Socialization, I've talked about this before in my podcast, but not at length. Socialization actually does not come from peers. When we talk about socialization, we're really talking about children kind of growing up and learning kind of the rules of society and how to behave and how to be polite in a way that's meaningful, not in a way that's forced or mandated. Socialization doesn't come from peers. Children don't grow each other up. That's what socialization is talking about. Peers do not socialize each other. Socialization actually comes from safe, secure, deep attachment with adults taking care of our children. This is the deep connection part in my three Ds of the 3D parent podcast, deep connection. That is what helps with socialization, not friendships, not peer relationships. Friendships will be there 
when our kids return to school, that's a given. And peer interaction right now, if your children are interacting with peers with safe parameters in place a couple times a week, even just once a week for an hour or two, that's honestly enough. They're going to have an opportunity to work on building friendships when they return to school. That's actually not essential for child's children's development. For families who have children, um, a range of children and ages, uh, more than one child, there's plenty of, of peer interactions going on that is uh, within a family structure. And it's a very natural and healthy form of peer interaction between siblings because it is based upon a natural hierarchy that's in place where the older ones have a natural instinct to kind of guide and nurture the younger ones. Children who are singletons and the only children in a family, those are the ones that aren't having that experience, of course, to socialize with their siblings because they don't have siblings. They are the ones that are maybe needing to have some type of a once a week interaction with some safe parameters, perhaps with a neighbor or friend or two who have the same precautions in place as far as safety measures with the um, COVID-19 pandemic that you might want to pot up with and have an opportunity for your children to get some peer interaction a few hours a week. But more than that is, is just really not necessary. And for families who have more than one child, it's not something you have to put into place for your child to have emotional well-being. So it doesn't mean you can't have any social interaction. It just means that it helps parents who are concerned about socialization and the need for socialization, which is just not founded, is not necessary. So given all of this, I found this information to be really helpful in terms of looking at my own children's emotional health, because we have all kinds of noise and messy emotions on display at our house. Um, there's a lot of that. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, great, everything's fine. It just means that in terms of emotional well-being, emotional health, my kids have their feelings. They're feeling a lot of feelings. But of course, those displays of emotion are also communicating something to me and in terms of where my children are, what's working for them and what's not working for them. And for some of my children, the school-led remote learning is not working very well, and we're having to keep on making adjustments to how we are thinking about schooling this year for our children. One of my children in particular, who I've referred to um, pretty recently. Um, I'll get into a little bit more of that in a bit. Um, the bad news that we're kind of all familiar with here is that children right now, of course, are spending an incredible amount of time in front of screens. And prior to the pandemic, we were really focused as parents and a lot of psychologists were devoting a lot of time and study to screen usage and conducting studies to look at the effects of overuse of screens on the young developing brain. And it was clear, it was clear that there are a lot of negative ramifications from too much time in front of a screen for young children. But now that we're in this period of pandemic, 
it's like we've stopped talking about this. And that's concerning to me because that didn't suddenly not become the case just because learning came home. It seems like the primary solution to remote learning has been more devices. Let's get more devices into kids' hands so that we can have more ability for them to learn via a screen. And I've heard from friends, I've heard from people I'm interacting with on my various social media um, feeds that some schools are offering between one and eight hours of online remote instruction for very young elementary age children, as young as kindergarten, first grade, second grade, via a screen. So one to eight hours of online learning in front of a screen for children that are five, six, seven years of age. And we know that this is not healthy for the development. And yet this seems to have been forgotten somehow or lost a bit in translation for many schools in the way in which they are providing remote education. So this is very concerning to me and um, the developing bodies and brains of my children and the children of parent coach clients that I work with and friends of mine and other folks in my community who are all trying to figure out what is best for children right now. Kids are coming off of these hours and hours of Zoom calls as Zoom zombies, honestly. They're drained, they're exhausted from this incredible amount of time in front of a screen and there's a lot of emotional outbursts and a lot of frequent school refusals now that I'm seeing in my home. My kids are not having eight hours of time in front of a screen. It's much more limited at that. And in fact, I've limited um, my youngest children's exposure to screens even beyond what is being offered by our schools because it's clear that it's not working for my child. And I know that because of these outbursts. I know this because of the school refusal that I'm seeing from her. She's communicating to me that this is not working. And I imagine this is a fairly common scene for many of you and what you're seeing in your children. And then on top of that, we as parents are fried. We're, many of us are expected to kind of facilitate this remote learning circus with multiple children while also juggling jobs and all the care that goes into uh, keeping a home in our family. And uh, on top of that, having bear children's personal assistance, keeping track of Zoom calls and passwords and uh, oversee their schoolwork and then not forgetting to turn it in and upload it to some virtual drive at the end of the day. It's exhausting and overwhelming. So kids are at home with parents who are more stressed than ever. There are financial strains for many families. There's job instability or loss of jobs. There is fears around this disease, this virus, COVID-19. There's concerns and experiences of isolation and juggling this remote school madness. And we also know that stressed parents who are parenting in survival mode is not sustainable, nor is it healthy for children to experience sustained periods of this amount of stress in their households. These prolonged and extended periods of stress in families is creating 
a trauma response in children that is potentially even more harmful than if there was a single traumatic event, like a natural disaster that a child maybe was suffering through. This prolonged period of stress in families is creating trauma responses in children. A recent study that I read, um, and I put a link um, from this article on medicalexpress.com. I put a link in my show notes if you're interested in reading this. Um, this recent study found that about 81% of children ages five to seven are showing at least one trauma sim- symptom from this period of being home during the pandemic. Uh, trauma symptoms such as interrupted sleep, waking up more in the middle of the night, difficulty sleeping alone, uh, acting very young or unusually mature for one's age. So those are all examples of trauma responses that are now showing up in 81% of children. So I want to update briefly right now on my own personal family struggle with um, remote learning right now. Specifically, I focused on this topic in last week's episode, um, in my episode entitled Remote Learning Reality Check. And I wanted to kind of update you on what's going on with my children and to let you know that it's not gotten better. In fact, in many ways, it's gotten worse. Um, This is our first full, complete Monday through Friday week of um, remote learning. And uh, it has gotten worse for our family, in particular, my second grade eight-year-old child, who I've described as being um, the orchid, in our fa- one of the orchids in our family, being highly sensitive, or I also have described as being the canary in the coal mine in our family, uh, kind of being the first to wilt, the first to struggle, the first to let us know that things are not working for her and indicate that there may be more of this down the road for our other children. Um, I want to start off and reiterate that this is not our teacher's fault. This is not our school's fault. Um, This is the medium that is being used right now frequently in most schools, this virtual remote school-led teaching that's not working for my second grade age child. Um, my, my kids' teachers are bending over backwards. They are doing literal songs and dances um, on the other side of their screen. They are available for communication with emails, with conferences. One of my, uh, my second graders' teacher has even been praying for my family, which touched my heart deeply. She knows that this is not working for us and we're struggling. And our teachers are an administration are doing everything they can to try and address our needs and be flexible. Um, But honestly, (laughs) I I feel like I'm beating a dead horse and I'm having a hard time facing my own futility that this is just not working. Um, My youngest, uh, who's not quite as orchid-like, is not the same kind of canary in the coal mine. She's doing okay in kindergarten virtually. They do very little. They do an appropriate amount in my viewpoint of uh, interaction via Zoom with the teachers. And the rest of it is kind of stuff that we kind of nudge her along on, but there's not a lot of joy and excitement in a lot of it. And some of that honestly is her feeding off of my second graders energy and anger and unwillingness to participate. And so my youngest is kind of picking up on that and her kind of excitement has waned quite a bit. Uh, My second grader is 
currently not really willing to participate in any of these Zoom meetings and interaction with her teachers or her peers. And the work that she's being assigned, she finds to be very boring and dull. Um, I'm a former teacher, and I have to tell you that the frequency with which I'm hearing things like, I hate school, I hate learning, is honestly enough to make my ears bleed. <laughs> so, and on top of that, again, I've got this little kindergartner there too, whom also having to try and get on simultaneous Zoom calls and cheerlead and support and help engage in her learning, but I can't split myself into two. And so the two children, the, the sibling rivalry is really off the rails right now because if I'm helping one, the other one immediately needs to be helped that second. So honestly, there's not a lot of learning that's happening, especially for my second grader. So we're rethinking things even further and making even bolder shifts. And next week, we're going to make a move even more towards interest-led learning with making sure there's a little bit of reading, a little bit of writing, a little bit of math sprinkled in. But we're going to take even a further step away from what is currently being offered by her school because, again, it's not working and she's not really learning. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. She's also going to be taking a bit of a learning coach role for her younger sister who's in kindergarten. My youngest, Reeve, uh, she's excited to learn to read. She's uh, excited to be working on spelling and writing and becoming more and more independent in her learning. And my second grader has actually been fairly engaged in my kindergartner's work. And in some cases has even asked, oh, can I do the same kind of work that she's doing? Can I also work on uh, making a book box for, for, for things? She'll come over and assist my youngest when she needs help spelling a word. And I kind of had this light bulb moment last week saying, gosh, you know what? Some of this is working pretty well for my kindergartner. And I can actually have some cooperation between my daughters, they can be interacting with each other in a way that's positive, in a way where I'm taking advantage of this natural hierarchy with where my um, eight-year-old is interested in nurturing and helping her younger sister learn to do some things that she knows how to do. So we're going to be incorporating some of that into our program next week. And we're also going to weave in some online art classes, which my second grader loves and is something that brings her a lot of joy in a way in which she is happy and confident in learning online from teachers. So that's enough about me and my family update. Um, I wanted to now give you a bit of insight into some tips for improving and may, maybe maintaining emotional health with your children. I know I'm going to sound like a broken record with my first tip, but that's because it's so important. My first tip, parents need to address their own mental health first. Neglecting your mental health is damaging to your children. It's causing stress and that trauma response I just referred to. 
parental stress and parental anxiety is taking a toll on children's mental health. This is something I needed to check myself on. This is something I've continued to have to check myself on during all of this because I'm personally struggling. I'm personally feeling a heightened sense of alarm and anxiety. I am certainly feeling a huge high level of stress that is not sustainable, that is not healthy. And I'm feeling so much of my own frustration and frustration in the face of my children's frustration that I am not parenting within my own intention. I am not treating my children with a level of warmth and love and respect that is in line with my intention. And I need to check myself on that. I've had to reach out for my own source of support, help. I've need to find people to help me manage my stress load. Um, my parents came to kind of lend a hand for a week and a half and lighten the load and be an extra set of hands. I needed that. I, you cannot, as parents, take all of this on yourselves. You need to call upon the supports that are available to you. And you need to address your own mental health first for your children's sake, if not for your own. It is about you taking care of yourself. But if you're not willing or you feel like it's selfish to address your own mental health, think about in terms of what your children need. They need you mentally healthy and well. My second tip, keep on working on that parent-child connection. Parenting with warmth and clear expressions of a desire from parents to want to be with their children, to delight in their children, the so-called invitation to exist in their parents' presence. This is essential. In fact, a close attachment between a parent and child is proven to reduce trauma symptoms in children and reduce childhood stress and alarm. So during a period of time right now where there's an abundance of quantity of time with our children, a lot of us are maybe not focusing enough on quality time with our children, being present, cutting out all those distractions, engaging with our children, and being very generous with our willingness to spend time with our children in a way that is very meaningful, that will continue to nurture that strong connection, that strong, deep connection with our children. Tip three, this is helping you help your child keep or maintain emotional health and well-being. Build in a gratitude practice. Share optimistic outlooks with your children and mod model positive self-care, like going outside for a walk and pursuing interests and passions, talking with your friends, reaching out for support, journaling, things like that. This becomes contagious and kids will follow your lead, especially if that attachment is in good shape. See tip number two. Um, if that attachment is in good shape, kids will instinctively want to follow their parents' lead. When I talk about a gratitude practice, I put this into place with my eight-year-old daughter, my um, the one I keep referring to, Maisie. Uh, we started, the two of us, every night before bed, naming one thing that we're grateful for in that day. Didn't matter how small it is. It could be how delicious my peach tasted that I had this morning at breakfast. It could be that simple. I'm grateful for the smell of the rose that I took the time to smell today on my walk. 
that type of simple gratitude and are writing it down in a gratitude journal. It's proven science now that having a practice of gratitude actually does change your brain chemistry. It does actually help your brain become less depressed. So we're putting that into practice in our home. Um, I can't say that it has been this magic bullet for us yet, yet, but we're sticking with it. And I'm working really hard to share optimistic outlooks and model that self-care I was just referring to for my children. Tip four is help your kids find healthy releases for their frustration. This is something I had a lot of success with in the last two days, in particular with my eight-year-old Maisie. One of those ways in which I helped her process her frustration is through art. I basically just gave her a simple prompt. And I said, I gave her a piece of paper and I gave her some art supplies. And I said, I want you to draw what you're feeling about a couple different things. And the first prompt I gave her was how she was feeling about remote learning. And boy, did she draw a picture. I will definitely be sure to include in my social media accounts um, her illustrations she did about how she feels right now about remote learning because she did an incredible job of capturing her feelings. I also had her draw uh, how she feels about Zoom calls. And it was hilarious. The thing I loved is that she actually had a sense of humor that came out in her art. She drew a picture of a computer screen, my laptop, with the video turned off on the Zoom call, the mic turned off, the teacher um, teaching something or talking about something on the screen, and she's off to the side practicing her handstands which is, as you can imagine, that has been a frequent scene in our household. Um, that's how she knew right exactly what she wanted to draw about it. Another way that I helped my kids process some frustration and some disappointments uh, happened just today. Uh, we have been at a remote cabin. That's why I'm currently recording my podcast in my car. And there's I don't know, some trucks driving by and some people talking you might hear in the background. We're still up in the wilderness in the North Cascades. And today I walked with my two youngest to an area on the Metau River. And I said, you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to pick up big, heavy rocks and we're going to throw them into the river. And for every single rock you throw, you're going to yell out something that makes you really mad or frustrated right now. And we had this incredible cathartic release of all of these frustrations that we've been feeling. So we'd yell, you know, COVID-19 and throw a rock. We'd yell, you know, not being able to see my friends and throw it. Um, my youngest said right away, not getting to hug my friends, which just about put me into tears. But we were just sitting there just yelling out our frustrations and throwing those rocks. I primarily had my kids do this. There were a lot of frustrations that I might have been inclined to also uh, bring to light for my children that might have been too alarming for them, like the frustration I feel being home with them 24 hours a day for six months straight. I wasn't going to release that uh, frustration in front of my kids, but I did model for them some things that we all are sharing frustrations for right now. And the thing that I kind of loved was, although that the frustrations that we were identifying initially were personal, like I don't like Zoom calls and throwing rocks, eventually those frustrations started becoming more about, you know, pain and suffering. Uh, people who are 
poor, people who are dying from this terrible virus. Those are the types of frustration releases we were doing with the stones, um, which I was kind of like, like, it was something we just did. It was just something I just came to. I didn't have some big plan. But as we were going through this process, it was so interesting to see how my kids were processing their frustrations. And then things started getting silly and playful. And the kids started throwing stones and yelling funny things like surfing bunnies and baby belugas. And so then this kind of inspired my eight-year-old daughter to say, hey, let's, let's now start um, saying things that we wish for. And so I said, great idea. I know how we're going to do that. We're going to do what you do when you get to a, a fountain and you get to throw in a coin over your back and make a wish. So we picked up tiny little pebbles and we turned around and we threw those wishing pebbles over our backs and we said things that we were wishing for. Um, oh, our my parents had just left. And so one of my daughters immediately said that she wants her grandparents to come back for a visit. Uh, my eight-year-old is obsessed with getting pet chickens. And so she threw pebbles and wished for pet chickens. Chickens. My youngest wished for those hugs with friends very soon and so on. It was a really, really beautiful moment and a healthy way to release frustrations and also to kind of vocalize some wishes that my children had. Tip five, please say no to an overabundance of focus on academic pressure for your children and yes to prioritizing mental and emotional health in your children. In our society, let's be real, there is so much emphasis and prioritization of academic achievement at the expense often of mental health. I'm going to encourage you right now during this time to be a bit counterculture and instead prioritize mental and emotional health for your whole family. Kids will learn. They will catch up. Academics will be there. And a lot of these early academics are, are you know, honestly not the most important thing developmentally for children right now. And we know that when kids are stressed, when they're alarmed, they're not learning anyway. So let's prioritize what is most important or what might be getting in the way of your child's ability to learn, which is their mental and emotional health. So today, for example, my, we're getting a rainstorm. So if you hear a lot of pitter-pattering right now, that's me in my car with a big rainstorm that's coming in. <laughs> so that's, that's what that background noise is. But I'll continue because I'm just about done here. In my family, today, we said no to school. I emailed the teachers and said, we're going to take the day off. We're going to have a mental health day. We put away our screens, and we just accepted that not every assignment was getting done. Um, we've done this on days that we didn't take a full break from school, too, where we just said, that's enough for today, um, or you know, that assignment is done good enough. Uh, we're thinking, rethinking school in general for our eight-year-old. And like I shared, we're going to make some real more drastic and bold choices next week as far as school for her and how we're going to play that out. We're hitting reset. We're taking days off to focus on mental health, well-being, and creating joyful memories with our kids. Um, today was the best day in weeks. We did a different kind of learning. We, because we're at this family cabin and we're surrounded by nature. We got out of the house and out from behind screens and we took a nature bath. 
it was a low stress day and everybody was feeling so much more emotionally balanced and healthy. We learned a lot from our day off. And we did learning too. My youngest, she picked up a rock. She thought it looked like a map and she showed where she thought that North America was and South America was and where Asia was using a rock. Uh, they found a centipede. They thought that was scary and disgusting. We talked about why a centipede is called a centipede. We talked about the Latin roots in the words. We talked about millipedes and why they're called mill millipedes. We did a lot of learning today just by observing what was around us. So that's it in terms of my nuts and bolts of ideas and tips to help your child with their mental and emotional health. I'm sharing a lot right now on my social media outlets on Facebook and um, on my Instagram for the 3D Parent. I'm sharing a lot about our struggles and successes as we're navigating all this. And I invite you to join in the conversations and share what's working for you and what's not working for you and your families. And I really want you to know that you're not struggling alone. That's why I'm being so vulnerable and real and sharing our own personal struggles. This is not about who is doing the best job at nailing remote learning. This is hard. This is not natural. We're all learning and figuring this out as we go along. But you're not alone in this struggle. It's a big reason why I'm being so real and vulnerable, like I said. There is a village of support out there. And if you want to be a part of my support village, I invite you to do so. If you go onto Facebook, you can look up the 3D Parent Lounge. That's my private Facebook membership community. And I invite you to, to join, become a member, and use that as yet another village of support for you and your family. Thank you so much for listening today and take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one -on -one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media so take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at The3D Parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on The3D Parent Podcast.